0: Good morning, Mission View Church. It's good for us to worship together. Those words are so powerful. Are you thankful that you're alive today? Alive in Him? Isn't that awesome? I kind of like life. It's a a good thing. And it's good that we can worship Him back as a response of His grace and His goodness. Just a a really quick report. Uh, My wife and I went to MD Anderson this past week. And the 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 positive news we that we were greatly encouraged with, was that uh, they said that the chemotherapy that I'm currently under under right now, are shrinking the tumors that are in my body, which is a step in the right direction. So we're we're thankful for that. We give all praise to God, and it's just another step in the journey, right? Huh? Not healed yet, but you keep praying, and I'm praying that way, and we'll see what God does. Well, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 1 to 11 here in a little bit, but I have a lot of setup things that I wanted to go over with you. Um, you'll notice that you receive this paper. Uh, this basically means that I'm. this is kind of more of a teaching time. Uh, believe me, there will be preaching in there. But I want us to have a thorough understanding of the gifts. And I've never done this before. But throughout this month, we're going to be, ta- we're going to be looking at every passage that talks about spiritual gifts. And we're going to tackle... Uh, This topic and try to have a greater understanding of it because a lot of people in the church And I would say this is probably true of people here who say I don't understand my I don't know what my spiritual gift is I have no idea But if we have a better understanding of what the gifts are Then it'll help us to be able to determine what are the gifts that God has given me in my life But I want to start off with the story uh, years ago, this was after my 14 years tour of duty with as a youth pastor. And believe me, it was 14 years tour of duty. It was a beautiful thing, but I was so glad after youth ministry was over, but it so happened that there was a need for a period of time that I would oversee the college group, and I did that for two years. And uh, this particular, at this particular time, the kids, the students... Uh, Said, yeah, let's go for a backpacking trip, Steve, because we know that you've led a lot of trips on the alley, uh, in the Laurel Highland trails in Pennsylvania, and it'd be awesome if we could do backpacking and whitewater rafting. And I'm like, cool, let's go. And so we started the sign ups, we got the supplies together, and uh, we picked our date in which we would go. And the plan was to backpack for two days solid. And then we would, on the third day, go whitewater rafting down the Yakahane River. So it was a great plan. Well, as, we were sign- as the kids were signing up, there was all guys, and there was two girls. One of them was my daughter, and one of them was a girl named Erica. Very nice girl, awesome girl, but she was uh, just kind of a, the, 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 a person that you look at and you say... I- have you ever backpacked? Have you ever hiked before? And so I asked Erica that. I said, Erica, you know, I'm, I just want to make sure that you're going to be okay on this trip. I love you. I care about you. I said, oh, no, Pastor Steve, no problem whatsoever. I hike all the time. I said, but have you ever hiked with a 40-pound backpack on? No, but don't worry about me. I'll practice, and I'm going to do some workouts, and I'm going to be ready to go. I'm like, Okay. You want to do it? Let's go. And probably, as you can imagine, uh, the only problem I had on this particular backpacking trip was pretty much with Erica. Um, my hunch was correct. Now, I will say the, the, the hike started out well uh, for the first two miles. <laughs> but after two miles, it was, the first day was an 11-mile hike. It was an 11-mile hike and then a 7-mile hike. And the 11-mile hike, about two miles in, she was going at a snail's pace. It literally would have taken two days to finish that route uh, uh, at that pace. And so... Different kids were going back and they were trying to be an encouragement, mostly my daughter. Uh, The guys that are so charged up with their testosterone-filled bodies, they were like, we got to be out in the lead. And so they're rushing ahead and, and keeping everybody together was a huge, huge challenge. And so we had one of those come to Jesus moments where I ran ahead, got the guys, stopped them, waited 30 minutes for Erica to come up from the back. And I just, I said, guys, listen, we're in this together. We go in together, we come out together. I will not tolerate one of us or two of us not coming out. Okay, we all come out. And so we got to work together, be an encouragement. And, and I just said, Erica, if you would allow, we would love to come alongside of you. We know that this is hard for you. If you would allow us to carry some of your supplies. And she's like, yeah, okay, that'll be fine. Well, we took everything out of her backpack. <laughs> everything. All she had was basically a seven-pound pack. And she, I eventually carried that. Um, <laughs> But she, she had food. I, we made sure that she had food so she can get nutrition and hydrate and all that kind of stuff. And I will tell you that that was the most painful nine miles that I've ever experienced. But we eventually got to camp. Praise God. Jesus, it was awesome. Camp was beautiful. We had supper that night, and eventually Erica went to sleep, and, um, and, I'm, and I'm praying that night. I'm like, Lord, I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to make it, but I'm trusting in you. Well, the next day, my concerns were legitimate because We started on the trail and we did well for two hot seconds. And then Erica started slowing down and I could tell there was nothing in the tank. And so I sat down with Erica and I, I, the kids were up ahead and I just said, Erica, tell me what's going on with you. Uh, How, did you eat well last night? And she goes, well, Pastor Steve, I really haven't eaten a thing since we started this trip. I said, why? She goes, I don't like the food. I'm like, I don't care whether you like the food. <laughs> and now I'm getting frustrated and I am get a p- chocolate pudding out of my backpack and I got a Pop-Tart and I said, you're eating this. I don't like Pop-Tarts and chocolate pudding. And I'm like, who doesn't like chocolate, po- chocolate pudding and Pop-Tarts? Honey, you're going to have to eat this now. So I was force feeding her Pop-Tarts and chocolate pudding. And I'm like, Erica, here's the deal. I'm pretty fit, but I'm not fit enough to, h- to get you out of these woods. Today, we're only covering seven miles, but we have two mountains in them. And so we have switchbacks going up, switchbacks going down, switchbacks going up, and then down again. I said, Erica, it is impossible. I cannot carry you out. Nobody's going to be able to do this. You're going to have to dig down deep down and you're gonna to have to find it within you to get there. So we started on the journey. I was so thankful for my daughter because she was back with Erica the majority of the time. Now the guys did give some encouragement as they're way ahead. They're like, hey, Erica, come on, you can do it. And they're rushing ahead doing their thing. We eventually made it out of the woods. And when we made it out of the woods, it was one of those moments like a Vietnam vet coming home dropping to their knees and kissing the ground. That was kind of like me. Lord, oh, thank you that we finally got out. What was interesting is we went to camp that night, and uh, Erica didn't want to take a shower. And she was bunking with my uh, daughter in her tent. tent. They were tent mates, And my daughter said, that's not going to happen. You're right. We were all right. But Erica was one of these people that didn't particularly care for showers. And uh, it it was almost like, just like force feeding, there was like a forced shower. But the, the trip did really end well. We had a great time whitewater rafting. All you had to do is make it sit in the raft, and that was good. But when I look at trips like this, I believe they serve as a great illustration that we really do need each other. And I've realized as life has gone on, I realize how important encouragement is, how important exhortation is, how important helping and serving and being selfless is. Because here's the reality. There's going to be a time where you're going to be the Erica in the story of life. There's going to be a time where you're going to find that your circumstances are way beyond what you can handle. It's your kids that are not walking with the Lord. It's your spouse that all of a sudden ups and leaps. It's your boss that says, I'm sorry, but we're downsizing. It's your doctor that looks at you and says, you have cancer. See, there's all kinds of circumstances in life. And there's times where you will be the Erica in the story. And what we need in the love of Christ is for people to come around us. Sometimes we need them to force feed us. Sometimes we need them to say, you've got to dig deep within because I can't do this. You can't, I can't do this for you, but I will be there with you. See, the whole idea of this gifted series is that we need each other. It's that God has so gifted each person in here with special supernatural abilities that it's designed us to fit together like a puzzle or a fabric where we, when we are interwoven together, we are tight, we are strong, and we have those around us at the times that we are weak and circumstances hit us in life. I feel sorry for the person that has nobody to come around them. And so, as we go through this series, I hope that we will realize that this is what God wants. This is what God has designed us to do to be there for each other. Here's my question Are you ready to learn how God has gifted the church? Because that's what's going to happen in the next five weeks. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would help us to understand exactly what you want us to know. I pray, Father, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, and I pray that you would help us to understand gifts, understand why you've given them and what the purpose is behind them. And I pray, Father, that you would give clarity to us at this time, and I pray that in Christ's name, amen. As we go through this series, I want to encourage you to keep notes and I want to encourage you to write down questions. And as questions are invoked, I want you to send them to me because I want to help process that with you. Because here's the reality. We all come from different backgrounds. Some of us have come from... Uh, a different, uh, different church backgrounds that have demonstrated different things about gifts. And so there's going to be things that you hear that you'd say, well, that's different than what I've known before. But I want you to test them against Scripture as we go through here. Actually, as we begin, I want to give you four driving principles that we're gonna, that's going to be behind everything that we're going to talk want, about. Number one, the guiding principle, number one, is that unity is the driving force behind the teachings of spiritual gifts. Unity is the driving force. You see, we have a God who's always been unified. You go back to the uh, Old Testament when they gave the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Do you know how the Shema begins? God is one. One. God is one. And what he had was an expectation that since God is one, that his people would be one in their love for God and in how they carried out the word of God. You see that in Deuteronomy 6. In Jesus' ministry, as he's coming to the close of the ministry in in John 17, guess what he prays four different times in that prayer? He says, God, Father, help them to be one. 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 It was so much on the heart of Jesus just before he goes to the cross that there would be unity. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you think unity is something that is on the heart of God? It is. And yet, I find one of the most disunifying things that has happened in the church is this view on spiritual gifts. Some people believe they're complete sensationists. So they're in this camp. And some of them are on an extreme of the sign gifts. And some of the gifts have completely stopped. And that's what they call themselves, the sensationists. And then you get on this side of the spectrum and you got people that are like, Anything goes! Anything goes in the church. All the gifts are, are an act. And we got this tension, this battle within the church. Now on this side, we have sometimes on the extreme, a lack of love. Just a lack of love. You got people that are judgmental, spiritually high-minded. We know the scriptures and and you got that. And then you got on this side, you got some crazy stuff happening out there. You got people barking in services. You got people getting drunk in the Holy Spirit, and you see some this sense of chaos in the midst of worshiping God. My friends, either extreme are wrong. Either extreme are wrong. The answer is that we are balanced in unity and in love and in grace and in truth. So keep that in mind. The second principle is that we are have a God of order and peace, and not of chaos. We have a God of order. In 1 Corinthians 14, and that's going to be your assignment to read 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 after we talk about 1 Corinthians 12, I want you to see that Paul gets to this place in teaching the Corinthians who had made the, the gifts a chaotic thing. Just like in some of these situations, we see the apostle Paul say, hey guys, God is a God of order, not of chaos. And so the implication is if there's disorder and there's chaos, it's not of God. Here's the third principle that we need to keep in mind. God's word is a final authority, not our experience. I've had people say, well, uh, Pastor Steve, this is my experience, therefore it's true. And I'm like... I'm not basing anything on your experience. Let's go to the word of God. Let's thoroughly understand what the word of God has to say. And then we will determine whether the experience is true or not. But we go to the word of God first and try to understand what God's heart is. And so we need to keep that in mind. Whatever the word of God says, that is what is true. The experience, it does not determine our doctrine. And here's the last thing. There's room for disagreement in the body of Christ. Did you know that? There's gonna be times where Pastor Steve's gonna give his own personal viewpoint along the way, and I want you to know, you don't have to have Pastor Steve's viewpoint. You don't have to sit there and say, well, if Pastor Steve says that, I have to do it. No, 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 you have the Spirit of God living within you. You have the mind of Christ. All I would ask is that you would, by the principles that we've talked about, make sure that you're abiding by them there can be room for disagreement in the body of Christ. Okay? So as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to give you some history of the church. This church is messed up. This church is messed up. The whole book is corrective in nature. The Apostle Paul has dealt with so many issues, and one of the issues was the issue of unity, because the, 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 the Corinthian people had just become so divided and, the, and gifts were a part of that because some were doing things that were just crazy. And, and the apostle Paul is coming in to correct this. Now, let me give you kind of an illustration. If we had a room full of toddlers, toddlers, And we had babysitters that were there to watch after them. And they had crayons and they have coloring paper and they have all that kind of stuff. What would happen if 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 the babysitters fell asleep on the job and the toddlers were left to their own devices? What would happen to that room? What would it look like? It would have crayon all over the walls. You would have urine in the corner because that kid had peed right there. Or you would have, I mean, the, the work, the, the room would be a mess. It would be a wreck. This is what Paul is stepping into. A church filled with spiritual toddlers, and the leaders had fallen asleep at the helm, and Paul is trying to correct this group. So now you have a proper context. Let's go. Chapter 12, verse 1. I call this unity of the gifts. Uh, We get a definition from this verse. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul wants them to know about spiritual gifts. Now where we get our definition is in the Greek word you're gonna see spiritual gifts and you're gonna see the word gift several times. Now the word gift is charisma. It's where we get our word charisma. And so this word charisma in the, in the Greek, it has this idea of grace because the, the root of it is charis, it's a play on words. And the word charis means grace. And so charisma is a sense of grace from God that he bestows on us, a special endowment that he gives. And as we see this played out in 1 Corinthians 12, we get our definition. And you can write this in your notes, a gracious gift given by the Holy Spirit, a gracious gift given by the Holy, we don't deserve it, but he is given it by the Holy Spirit, but It's given to Christ's followers who are going to use this to build the church for God's glory. Gracious gift given to Christ's followers for the purpose of building the church for his glory. So, this is the idea of this gift that Paul wants them to understand. But immediately, Paul goes into corrective mode because in verse 2 and 3, we see part of the problem. They take a good thing and they make it bad. They they become disunified. Take a look at verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So a little context here help, will help you understand. In this city of Corinth, there were so many different pagan religions that these people from the, in the church had come out of. Now, there were certain elements that they enjoyed in the pagan religion. And in the pagan religion, they would often worship a deity. And in that worshiping of that deity, there would be this inducing of a frenzy chant that they would have in their ceremonies. And this chant would eventually lead to this experience that would lead to sometimes drunkenness, sexual orgies, all kinds of nasty stuff. And, and this was what their pagan religion was about. And so some of these people had come out of this. And in their infancy, they wanted to kind of combine the experience. They were looking for the experiential aspect of it. And they wanted that to happen. And so this was happening within the Corinthian church. And evidently, there were some that were giving prophecies that were actually denying the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. That's why it says... Jesus is accursed. This was the message. Now, ironically, what's happening is, in the midst of Christianity trying to combine with a pagan religion, Jesus is dismissed and Satan is invited in. This is messed up. Any church like this is messed up. And what Paul says here when he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit, here's what he's saying. The validity to anyone that speaks is that they have to be in line with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And if they're denying Jesus, it's not of God. We stick with Jesus and everything that aligns with him. By the way, do you realize that this is how you determine the difference between a cult and the church. In the cults, Jehovah Witnesses, they will never say that Jesus is God. They will never say that because they don't believe it. This is the issue that we're facing right here. Now, some would say, you know, what do we do with the fact that we have experiences? Are you saying, Pastor Steve, that there should be no experience? No, no, not at all. We expe- I experienced some incredible emotions during that worship set. And I felt like my heart connected to the Lord. I feel like there is incredible joy when we celebrate communion together as a family. I feel encouraged when I hear others preach. And I'm encouraged when I'm able to give the word of God. And hopefully you're encouraged when you receive instruction. And so there's all kinds of emotions. But here's the guiding principle. The problem comes when we search for the experience more than the truth. We have to have the truth. Truth and experiences, truth actually keeps experience within boundaries. Let's take a look at verses four to six. Paul then goes on and he wants to give the source of where these spiritual gifts and where this unity has been given. This unity is given, but he's also going to let known that unity is required but here's what he says verse four now there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit and there are a variety of services but the same lord and there are a variety of activities but the same god who empowers them all now in these verses we see two significant things first of all we see the unifying work of the godhead spirit son father do you get that We're seeing the unity within the Godhead. Each play a part in what's happening in the church. The Spirit gives a variety of gifts. He gives a variety of gifts to you. Now, please don't mistake in gifts with skills. There's plenty of people that have skills to be a businessman or a nurse or a construction worker or a doctor or whatever. That's a natural talent. That's a natural ability. Now, God gives through the Holy Spirit certain gifts. Now... There are times that our gifts help enhance what we do in our profession, in our skills and abilities. For example, I might have the gifting of a a nurse. And God may give that person the gift of mercy. And so that's an awesome attribute for that nurse. And you can tell that that nurse has that mercy in the way that she treats her patients. But then you get the nurse... That doesn't have the gift of mercy. Time to put your big pants on. Big boy pants. Oh, there's the needle. Okay. Stop crying. You know, the, it, the, We can see that the, the gifts can enhance our skills. That's the Holy Spirit. He gives that. Now, then we see that Jesus gives the ministry. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. Jesus gives us opportunity to exercise our gifts. Let's take example, the gift of pastor. There is a gift of pastor. And please understand, I'm not talking about the role of pastor in terms of an office or anything like that. This is more of an elder type of leadership here. But I'm talking about the gifting of shepherding. And that gift can be given to man or woman. You can have the pastor gift. And so what Jesus will do is he will give you the opportunity. Maybe you will work in a community group. And if you're a female and you have the gift of shepherding and you're working in a community group and your husband's the leader, you're a vital part of that because your gifting is going to help within that community group because you're going to have a natural desire to shepherd. Jesus will give you opportunity after opportunity to use your gifts. And then finally there's the father. The father empowers. He uses that gift to really help you have an impact where you are. And he's also it says here he's working them all in everyone. It's almost like God is the conductor and he's taking all the gifts and he's making this beautiful song. A.W. Tozer says this, Uh, In terms of gifts working together. He says they are like pipes on a great organ. He was of a different era. But pipes on a great organ permitting the musician, wide scope and range, to produce music of the finest quality. Do you know God has a song? And his symphony players are you. Now what does it say for the individual that's not using their gift. You're not a part of God's song and he wants you to be a part of it. So this is the source of this and this is what God wants. So that's the first thing we learn is that there's a unifying work of the Godhead but there's one more lesson that's subtle and that is unified unity is expected. See, I think Paul intentionally taught how, what the role of the Spirit was, the role of the Son, the role of the Father. He did that intentionally. Why? He wanted the people to understand, he wanted us to understand how God in the, in the Godhead works together. They're interdependent upon each other, and God works together in the Godhead. And so, therefore, he has the same expectation that we would be interwoven and interconnected with each other. Unity is expected. Now we're going to look as we conclude the message at just the list of gifts that he gives here. This is not the exhaustive list. We This is why we're doing this over five weeks period. But we're going to talk about the gifts that he mentions here in our remaining time. So what I want you to know though is if God is the source of the gifts, which he is, we're now going to see the purpose of the gifts. Let's look at the unifying gifts of the Spirit, verse 7 through 11. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the spirit of utterances of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the spirit. Same spirit. To another, faith by that same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one spirit. To another, the workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, a various, various kinds of tongues. And to another, there's an interpretation of tongues. All these are are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, once again, there is something about contextualing or getting context that helps us here. The context here is that The believers were, in this church, were taking gifts and using them for self-edification. There's kind of a division you're going to find of gifts. There's going to be speaking gifts that are more public. And there's going to be, we're going to have helping gifts or serving gifts that are more private. So you got speaking and serving gifts. And so these Corinthians were gravitating towards the speaking gifts because they were out in front of people and they were trying to make a name for themselves. And Paul starts out here in verse seven. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. In other words, your gift isn't for you. It's not for you. It never was designed to be for you. Your gift is for the body of Christ. Your gift somehow is going to help somebody else. And that is the genius of God. That he would create us in such a way that we have to need each other in the use of our gifts. Now one other point I would bring out here is that put yourself in the context of the church at this time. They didn't have leather bound Bibles. Did you realize that? That's going to come in time. And so there were certain gifts that were especially needed in the church because they didn't have the scriptures. And so the gift of prophecy, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, these were gifts that were absolutely essential for the body of Christ when they gathered together so that they could hear the word of God and what God was speaking So let's take each of these and break them down. First of all, the word of wisdom. Let me give you the definition and show how it works out. This gift is the ability to have clear insight into God's word and skillful application. If you're keeping notes, write that down. Clear insight into God's word, skillful application and that this application will help us get understanding. Now if you have this gift, you have this unique ability to see truth in the scriptures and put it out there in a way that a person can really understand. Now I think there's a lot of teachers that are out there that probably have the gift of wisdom and you see people huddling around them because they they love they just love how they put the word of God in a way that you can understand. You got the Kay Arthur's, you got the Beth Moores, you got the Matt Chandler's, you got the Andy Stanley's. There's lots of people that are that people gravitate towards because they probably have this gift of wisdom. This is a vital gift uh, that is needed in the church today. Then there's the gift of knowledge. This gift is defined this way. This gift focuses on this: grasping meaning of the truth. Through investigation. So if you're writing in your notes. Grasping the meaning of truth. Through investigation. Now this person. Uh, uh, this person loves to give out information. That he has acquired. Intentionally by his studies. This person Loves. Loves loves to study their Bible. There are the ones that have green pens, yellow pens, white pens, well, not white pens, black pens, red pens, every color, and they're just marking up their Bible and they have little symbols that they put all over the place because they love to acquire the knowledge of God's word and give it away. It's a gift of knowledge. Here's the third gift, the gift of faith. The gift of faith, here's the definition, an unusual trust in God. Now, this is such an important gift because these are the people that are out in the front of the line and they're saying ridiculous things. It's the it's Hudson Taylor who says, you know what? We need to go to China and we need to see millions of Chinese people come to faith in Christ in the inland part of China, which is not being reached. And people are looking at Hudson Taylor saying, you are nuts. Those people are savages. You should never go there. And now, many, many years later, many people can trace their spiritual heritage in China to Hudson Taylor, who went in and believed that God would do the impossible. These are people that start ministries, big and small. You can have the gift of faith, It's just this unusual trust in God. Healing. This gift is defined this way. It is the ability to restore health to an individual. Now, what's curious is the way that we see healings, miracles, and I would even probably put tongues in this category, is that many of these are in what they call sign gifts that were used in a very special way in the starting of the church. In healing, we see that Jesus was exercising this and the apostles were exercising this. So when healings happen through the apostles or Jesus, this is what happened. It was instantaneous it was complete and it was absolutely permanent very different than what you see in some healings that are claimed today this is how it was done at this time and this was the ability this ability was intended to do something because the word of God was not in its written form it needed to confirm the message in the messenger how do I know that Read Acts 2, 22. You can write that as a cross-reference for later. Or you can take a look at Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4. These things were to confirm the apostles in Jesus' ministry. Now, after Jesus' ministry, it was left to the apostles. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He says this. These things mark an apostle. Signs, wonders, Miracles were done among you with great perseverance. This wasn't a gift that everybody had. The common Joe did not have this gift. We see very specific people that were instrumental in the kickstart of the church. Now, it, um, my, my personal opinion is that this gift does not exist in the way that it did at that Particular time now. I believe that God still heals. Oh, He can heal anybody. I'm praying for that. So I'm I'm one that definitely is a a fan for healing. But it's not done today the way I've the way that it was done at this time, and I'm not certain that 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 is right. Now I believe there's a function of healing that exists today. There are believers. That are incredible counselors that help people heal emotionally. There are believers that help people physically. Claire comes alongside of people in their physical need of being strengthened. There are some of our doctors in our midst come alongside of people. And they do it in a special way because God has given them. There's lots of doctors that don't know the Lord. But when the spirit of God dwells within them. There is a special element of them being able to come alongside and help people heal. I think that that exists. That's the function. But the, say, baby, and the demons come out or whatever, I don't, I don't see it. You may disagree with me, but I don't see it in light of what the scriptures are talking about. Miracles. Think about miracles. Here's the definition. It is the ability to work divine acts contrary to nature. So that there's no other explanation but God did it. Miracles. I'll say that again. A work of divine acts. Contrary to nature. So that there's no other explanation than God did it. Now we can look at history with miracles. In the Old Testament there's only two times where God did miracles. Did it with Moses. Those are some pretty awesome miracles in the ten plagues. But he also did miracles with Elijah and Elisha. And in all situations, it was to confirm that God was on a mission. He had a message. And this is my messenger. And I want you to know that I am behind them. It wasn't about the person. It was about God getting his message through. We zip to the New Testament, and we see Jesus doing miracles. Interestingly, the miracles that he did were different than the miracles that the apostles did, his disciples. Because he was the only one that could affect nature. He was the one that turned the water into wine. He was the one that took a stroll out on the water. Now, Peter attempted it, but you know how that went he's the one that was able to create food from nothing he was the one that could say be still be silent and the calm and it calmed the storm immediately that was god and god was able to do that now god allowed his disciples to cast out demons and to heal so in the old testament new testament These miracles were used to confirm the message and the messenger. And again, I think in that sense, these things do not exist, but they will exist again. Because if you read the book of Revelation, guess what? Miracles are all over the place. And it's because God, the church is out of the picture. And he is confirming his message and his messengers once again. And God is on the move. Prophecy. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to cover this more thoroughly. So let me just give you a definition at this time. This is the ability to speak forth a message from God that had the purpose of edifying, of exhorting, instructing, and comforting the church. The ability to speak forth. That's what the word prophecy, speak forth a message that had the purpose of building up the church, if you want to shorten it. Edifying, encouraging, instructing, and comforting. Let's move to discerning of spirits because we have two more. Discerning of spirits and uh, and tongues. Just a small topic of tongues. Discerning of spirits. This gift was the supernatural ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, since Satan is a great counterfeit. This person is needed and is needed today to make sure that the church is staying on course. Christi- now there's people in the sensationists would say, no, Steve, you're wrong on this, that that discernment of spirits is gone. I don't believe, it. there's no evidence to me that it's gone and I believe it's definitely needed because there's times that the enemy will speak through individuals and they come into the church and it creates Chaos. This is exactly what Paul warned the church, the Ephesian leaders, in Acts chapter 20. This is what he said to them. He says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flocks of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. So if you have the gift of discernment, you're kind of the warrior that stands guard in the church. And now the small topic of tongues. Hardly any controversy with this at all. And interpretation. Let me give you the definition. Supernatural ability to speak an unlearned language. Supernatural ability to speak an unlearned language. The word for tongue is glossa in the Greek. Now glossa is where we get our word glossary, which is words. And so he's talking about words. And every example in Acts, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, we see that there are people that had previously not learned a language, all of a sudden are speaking an a language that other people understand. Let me give Acts 2 as an example. It was a time of Pentecost. You have all these Jews from different nationalities. Not all the Jews lived in Jerusalem. Some of them lived in Ethiopia. Some lived in different places in, in, in what would be modern day Turkey. And they spoke the language of that land at that time. And so they're coming in to worship God at Pentecost. And all of a sudden, something strange happens. uh, Acts chapter 2 describes it as tongues of fire come upon the body of Christ. You see, Jesus had predicted in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that the Holy Spirit was going to come in power. And all of a sudden, these disciples of Christ are speaking languages that are known by the people that are guests. And this is what it says. It says, and I quote, they heard them in their own language. This is the way it's used every time in the, in the book of Acts. You have Parth, In this case, there was Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Perga, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Rome, Cretans, Arabs, Now, those don't mean anything to you. Just know that every one of them are a different language. And all of a sudden, they're hearing the gospel in their language, in their understanding. That was the gift of tongues. God gave them that ability. And please understand how important it is to kickstart the church. When we send out a missionary today, I'll give Jen Trail another Uh, as another example, she was the latest missionary with us, and she'll be with us again. She had to spend the first three years learning a very, very difficult language. And she's in the country now. She's able to speak it. She wouldn't say she's fluent, but she can speak that language. They're kickstarting the church. God wants them to go out. And guess what? By giving them the supernatural ability to understand a language that they didn't know before, Kickstarted the gospel. Do you know how many times I have asked God to give me the gift of tongues? When I'm in Moldova and they're all speaking Russian and I don't understand the thing they're saying, I'm like, "God, help me to understand." He didn't give it to me. I wish he did. Is it possible that God could do? God could do anything He wants, friends. But just understand that this is what tongues are in the Bible. Now, what we see going on, we have people saying, well, I have a special prayer language. Where do you get that? The only place that you can go to is 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, verse 1. It says this, if you speak in tongues of men and of angels. And so they believe that the tongues of angels is a prayer language. Well, I don't know what a tongue of an angel is. Is it babbling? Is it just words that you can't understand? I have a hard time taking that out of that passage. I just don't know the answer to that. So someone would say, well, does the, does the gift exist today? Well, let's understand, first of all, the tongues were given at that time to evangelize. Just understand that first. Understand also The tongues were given actually as a sign to unbelieving Jews that God was reaching out to Gentile nation. It was a sense of judgment on them that this is what God is going to since they didn't believe. And it was to confirm the message in the messenger. Do I believe it exists today? Well, if it does, it has to be somebody that's speaking a a language that was previously unknown to them. And if you have that, please tell me. I would love to hear it. But if we were to have someone speak in a different language, uh, Li Tong and Ding Ding, their parents come. If they ever came and they gave testimony in Chinese, I would have a translator. I would have Li Tong translate for it because that's order in the church. And Paul corrects this later on. and says, there's no order in the church because everyone has their own thing. They're doing their own thing. And God says, no. It has to be for the edification of the church. And it has to be for for the building up of believers. See, God's not giving us a gift for us. Remember, it's for the common good. And so we got to keep that in mind. Now, some of you, I know that this kind of strikes you differently because... You've never heard that. Or you grew up in a teaching that was anything goes or on one end of the spectrum. It might be that I've displeased that group and I've displeased that group. I don't care. What I want, though, is I do care that you come to understand what God has to say. And I challenge you, read the word. Read the word. Understand it in your heart and your mind. And we can agree to disagree. Here's what I want to close with is this question. What special endowment of God's grace has he given you to be a part of that fabric? I hope your hearts are open to learning this month about that. We're gonna sing a song that's new to us, and I love this song. I've been listening to it all week. It's Make Us One, and that's my prayer. The Corinthian church, pretty messed up. The Mission View church, I want us to be unified. Unified on what God is doing and for us to be focused on the building up of the body. Lord Jesus, would you help us to have greater understanding of what your word has to teach us? I pray, Father, that you would help us to have just a heart of unity. And even if we disagree in some things, help us to go to your word, for us to read your word, for us to be challenged. And I pray that you would do something in our midst. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen.